Welcome to today's Autistic Moment, a podcast for autistic adults by an autistic adult. My name is Philip. I am the owner, producer, and host, and I am an autistic adult. Please visit todaysautisticmoment.com. Today's Autistic Moment in my web address is all one word with no apostrophe between Y and S. Check out the store to shop up for good books, fidgets, and weighted blankets. You can also purchase a silicone bracket to keep the material of face masks off your face and skin. You can also download a program transcript and transcript of this episode on new podcast episodes on my website. You can also follow today's Autistic Moment on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can send an email to p-k-l-o-w-e at todaysautisticmoment.com. This first segment of Today's Autistic Moment is sponsored by the Autism Society of Minnesota, Minnesota's first autism resource. The Autism Society of Minnesota is celebrating 50 years of serving Minnesota's autism community. Visit them online at ausm.org. One of the most misunderstood aspects about autistic people is that each of us is unique. Every person who is not autistic is different from another person. Whether it is hair color, skin color, sexual orientation, gender, or they like chocolate or vanilla. Some like rock and roll music, others like country music. Autistic adults are as diverse as anyone else. Each autistic adult has our own brand, make, and model of autism. Some of us fidget more, others fidget less. Some autistic adults eat vegetables, others simply cannot tolerate the textures of some vegetables. There are autistic adults who can fixate on trains, airplanes, cars, fantasy fiction, marine life, or cooking. Other autistic adults hyper-focus on knitting, game-playing, or bowling. Some autistics can communicate with anyone around them. Other autistic adults use AAC devices to help them communicate with others. The point is, we are all different. On today's episode of Today's Autistic Moment, my good friend Robin DeCourcy and I will talk about neurodiversity. We will talk about the origins of the word neurodiversity and why it is so important for autistic people to be accepted as opposed to being fixed. Robin worked as an educational specialist at the Autism Society of Minnesota. Her knowledge of autism and ability to communicate the information is outstanding. And now I present to you Autistic Adults, our own brand, make, and model with my guest, Robin DeCourcy. Robin, thank you for coming on my show today. Um, once again, you've been a great friend to me. You've been a mentor to me, and I've learned so much about autistic and, and autism from you. I know it's really enriched my own life. Um, and that's one of the reasons that has brought me to doing this podcast, because that information was so important to me. 
Um, and you and I have had conversations about neurodiversity. And uh, you will hear me say in my introductory episode that, um, you know, uh, here's a newsflash, but, you know, uh, we are not a one size fits all group of people. And, you know, the term for that is neurodiversity. And so the words are brand, make, and model because it's, it's like having our own brand, make, and model of autism. So um, having said that, um, let's now enter into my first question that I ask uh, for the topic of every show. What important information do autistic adults and our caregivers need to know about when it comes to neurodiversity? Yes, thank you, Philip, so much for having me on. My name is Robin DeCourcy. Um, very briefly, I am not an autistic adult myself, but I am a neurodivergent adult, meaning we'll break this down a little bit, but that means that I also have a an ADHD brain. So um, a brain that is diff different in many ways from what we consider a neurotypical brain um, or the most commonly occurring brain in our society and culture, that brain that's considered quote unquote normal. Um, very briefly, uh, you know, Philip, you and I, yes, we've been friends for a while. And for those who may not know me, um, wondering why is this non-autistic person being invited on? Again, I'm a neurodivergent professional in the in the area of autism accessibility and community inclusion and a lot of the work that I have done professionally whether it's educating uh, speaking training consulting and writing has been very much dedicated to this idea of neurodiversity acceptance and neurodiversity as a, a an active practice so let's talk about things that we need to know right First of all, what does that word mean? Neurodiversity, right? That that prefix neuro, N-E-U-R-O, that indicates brain. Um, diversity is diversity, differences. And so fundamentally, when we talk about neurodiversity, it is quite simply at its basic level, a biological fact, right? That there are infinite different types of brains out there there have been since the beginning of time. Um, so even among people who are generally considered quote unquote neurotypical, people's brains are different. Even among people who have autistic brains, uh, you know, those, everybody's autistic brain is unique and different. Um, so, you know, so that trend applies from that, that very basic level that there are differences in our brains in different neurotypes, right? Neuro, again, meaning brain type, whatever. That's a nice, uh, term that I like to, that I, that you will hear me throw around neurotype. That just basically means type of brain. Um, and so again, fundamentally neurodiversity at a, at its biological or genetic level is just a fact. And so some of the earliest conversations that are, that I've seen, um, that talk about neurodiversity, this is a lot of stuff that has been very much, um, um, worked through in autistic rights spaces, but it doesn't only include autistic voices. But I do want to give credit to those autistic folks and those folks working in autistic rights spaces because those have been the 
the big proponents of it. So um, Judy Singer in the, in the late 1990s, an Australian autistic sociologist is credited, with, credited widely with first kind of coining the term, um, what's his head? Harvey Bloom was a, a journalist who was uh, considered to be the first person to use that term neurodiversity in print. And then these related terms, neurodivergent, neurodivergence, um, uh, credit goes to, and I apologize if I mispronounce their name, but Cassian Asasu Masu, another autistic self-advocate. Um, so again, wanted to put my credit out to where credit is due. So again, lots of autistic voices have been leading in this idea of neurodiversity. And so moving beyond this, you know, basic biological genetic fact, there are different types of human brains out there. And that is just a result of natural variation in the human genome. Neurodiversity, taking it a step further into a a more social and cultural lens. So these are where you might hear terms like neurodiversity paradigm, neurodiversity movement, um, neurodiversity. Well, those are, those are two of the main phrases that I've heard, neurodiversity paradigm, neurodiversity movement. That's taking it a step further and, and saying that Okay, at the worst, at its worst, it's inevitable that there are going to be different types of brains in society in all over the world. And, you know, that's, it's better to acknowledge that and embrace that, right? And saying that there are, there is a lot of value that can be found in having this diversity of thinking, diversity of communicating, diversity of learning. After this commercial break, Robin and I will continue our conversation about autistic adults, our own brand, make, and model. Stay tuned. Support comes from Minnesota Independence College and Community, a life and career skills program for young adults with autism and learning differences. Help a young adult take a step towards their independence and a vibrant life. Learn more at micommunity.org. Support for today's Autistic Moment comes from Best Care Home Care Agency. Best Care offers PCA choice, homemaking, and 245D services throughout the metro and greater Minnesota. Visit their website, bestcaremn.com, to learn more about their services. The Autism Society of Minnesota provides counseling services, support groups, the Community Resources Directory, public policy for autistic people, skill shops classes, the State Conference, and Community Summit. The Autism Society of Minnesota provides scholarships 
to many low-income autistic individuals and families to be able to attend their many educational opportunities. They provide education for care providers and professionals to better understand autism and the needs of autistic people. Awesome is providing training for law enforcement officials in their interactions with autistic individuals. The Autism Society of Minnesota provides summer camps and social events for families with autistic children, spouses, and so much more. To celebrate the Autism Society of Minnesota's 50th year and to support their work for the autistic community, I am having a t-shirt sale and fundraiser. Go to todaysautisticmoment.com and to the store to purchase a custom-made t-shirt anytime between March 1st and April 24th. I will be donating 15% of all the t-shirts sold to the Autism Society of Minnesota through the Give It Home fundraiser in May through GiveMN, which will double the amount of the donation. If you want to make a donation without purchasing a t-shirt, you can do that too. Click on the Donate to Awesome Fundraiser in the store to make a donation. Thank you for listening to today's Autistic Moment. Welcome back to today's Autistic Moment. Let us return to my conversation with Robin DeCourcy. Some of these, these conversations around neurodiversity trace it back to, I think it was uh, Temple Grand, Grandin, who I first heard say that, you know, if you think about cave people, you know, Neolithic people, in all likelihood, those folks who were going to be the first tool makers, um, the folks who are going to be noticing patterns of weather, of animal migration, those are likely to be the autistic Neolithic peoples, right, that who have the types of yes. brains to be, you know, analytical pattern finding types of brains instead of wasting their time socializing around a fire, right? That, right. <laughs> that's something that I've heard said similarly for folks like me, I'm an ADHDer. Um, I'm not autistic, although many, many people are both have both an ADHD and autistic brain. I've also heard a lot about how ADHD brains make a lot of sense because our brains tend to thrive in crisis. And, you know, you think about those um, life or death moments of hunting and, and whatever, you know, uh, that ADHD brain does really well when it's soaked in adrenaline. That's where anecdotally yes. myself and also I don't think you'll meet a single ADHD out there who wouldn't say that, my God, I can't find my keys, but there's an emergency at three in the morning. I'm there. I'm on it. I own it. That's a big pattern of my life. Right. So, so again, so, so even from the earliest stages onward, there's this idea of these different brain types working together in concert to be successful in human evolution, right? We've got our tool makers, our pattern finders, we've got our, our crisis managers, and then we've got all the folks that wherever in between that are reminding us to eat and to take shelter and, you know, and helping, you know, 
create social bonds and whatever. So this is all very kind of loose. I'm not a sociologist or anthropologist, but I really like that way of, of talking about neurodiversity as, as a factor in human evolution and development, right? We would not have survived mm -hmm. as a species without these different brains working together. And right. so again, taking it into this modern in modern level and this more social cultural framework right. of neurodiversity <laughs> it says okay again at the worst it is inevitable that we're going to have different types of brains we're going to have right. neurotypical brains we're going to have autistic brains we're going to have adhd brains we're going to have traumatized brains we're going right. to have brains that have all sorts of mixtures in between and that again is not only inevitable but that can be a good thing. And fundamentally, right. I think the fundamental lesson of neurodiversity is this, is that a neurodivergent brain, again, neurodivergent is um, the adjective, adjective form that Cassian coined. You'll hear me using that word neurodivergent a lot, that a neurodivergent brain is equally as valid and right. and and it, period is equally as valid as any other brain neurotypical or not and that a right. neurodivergent brain isn't a failed quote unquote neurotypical brain exactly and, and that is the core of neurodiversity is that it's accepting you know the people the different brains that we have and instead of trying to fix or cure or modify um, behaviors to make a neurodivergent person look neurotypical, it's saying we're not going to do that. We're going to challenge assumptions about what brains are good, what brains are productive. Every brain is equally valid. Right. And it's a matter of identifying how, you know, what's going to be the best system for each person, each neurodivergent person, each autistic person, each ADHD person, whatever. What is what are their that person's needs? What are their strengths? What are their challenges? What are their support needs in order to have the highest possible quality of life? Right. With maximum self-determination, period. And I think that right. is a a, a, a a foundation, a um, a conception of neurodiversity that I think anybody, even people, as we'll talk about in a little bit, who might push back against this term, I don't think many people are going to argue against this concept that every brain is bad, right? Right. Yeah, because I think one of the things that we need to um, say here is that for autistic adults, autistic individuals, that that neurodiversity explains why, for example, there is one autistic individual who can found a corporation and run it throughout the world. And then there's another one on another, on another end who may not be able to achieve those things, but still can probably tell somebody about every part of an airplane there ever was and how those pieces work. Neurodiversity is found in those kinds of things. Yeah. And I love, you know, Again, it doesn't surprise me in the slightest that autistic people have been leading this conversation about neurodiversity for, you know, in 
in from the outset and 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 have been major players in how this conversation is shaped because the nature of autism itself is that wildly diverse spectrum and yes. and you know this is where we talk a lot about you know some of the tenets of a neurodiversity framework um that that again a lot of autistic thinkers um and when i say autistic thinkers I'm talking about advocates of all traditional levels of, of ability and not, right? We've got lots of right. folks who, who fall under that, you know, that more visible autistic model of maybe having founded several companies, whatever, as opposed to folks who are non-speaking and all and rely fundamentally on uh, alternative or augmentative forms of communication, also known as AAC. Um, I think it makes a, a lot of sense to me, again, that that conversations about neurodiversity are really being shaped by autists because the nature of autism itself is so diverse and that, you know, yeah. we know that, you know, I don't, I can talk about things like spiky prof, developmental profiles and scattered skills and all of these other kind of catchphrases right. about autism all day long, but that's, that's the fact that, um, you know, neurodiversity in many ways is about challenging these assumptions that we have about traditional um, uh, value and traditional, you know, intelligence and things like that. Yeah. Um, because so many autists, again, that is the hallmark of autism, right, is to have have strengths and and challenges and support needs all over the place from person to person. It's a different constellation of strengths, challenges, support needs. <sighs> Yes, yeah. and, and neurodiversity also explains where our passions go. Yes. Um, you know, um, like I say, there are there are autistic individuals who can do math all day long and never get tired of it because they're hyper-focused on it, mm -hmm. while there are others who, um, like I say, they found, find their hyper-focused hyper-focused interests in things like arts or music or, or science or other things. Um, this neurodiversity is how, as we've been saying, <clears throat> is how, how autistic individuals and other uh, um, people on the, that are neurodiverse uh, contribute to the good of society. And I think there's been this terrible, um, terrible divisive thinking that says that you know, someone who is, um, who needs higher support needs somehow cannot contribute to the earth. And we know that's absolutely not true. And then, you know, the, but the, but the ones who can create large corporations are, and what neurodiversity does, and I hear you saying a lot of this, which is a fantastic thing, is we're saying that each of these neurodiverse individuals on the autism, autistic spectrum, they have value. And neurodiversity wants to invest us into that, into those, that diversity. Yes, exactly. That people have value because first and foremost, they are people, right? And so right. a lot of neurodiversity to me also, you know, when I talk about neurodiversity, a lot of the, the the audiences that I'm encountering are public facing organizations. And so uh, one way that I talk about neurodiversity and to impress upon this fact of every brain has value is this idea of presuming competence, right? That you, even, even if 
you know, you're, you're, that you always treat an adult like an adult, that you treat a teen like a teen, that you always approach every interaction with a person, regardless of how visibly or disabled they might be or not, with the assumption and the belief that everyone can communicate given the right tools, that everyone can learn given the right tools and supports, and that even if, and that people have the right to be included and communicated with, even if it's hard for other people and, or those, you know, those folks don't necessarily want to communicate or socialize. That's fine. We don't have to force people to, to, to do things the way they think they should. That's another big part of neurodiversity is that is presuming competence, or at least at the very least presuming potential, right? That you presuming competence sometimes gets in this gray area of that, um, you know, this person maybe has some complex communication needs. So we're just going to throw an iPad at them and boom, solved. That's not a neurodiversity model type of approach, right? Because neurodiversity, a neurodiversity lens is going to say, yes, this person can communicate and learn, but we need to find the ways that work for that person. And this is, I think, you know, this segues kind of nicely into what I know your second question is going to be, is talking about some of the the miscommunications and the misunderstandings uh, that happen around this these conversations about neurodiversity and who is included who is prioritized and who isn't absolutely yeah and uh, you've already you've already uh launched in as a preface too so but i have to do it because that's part of my part of my program here yep (laughs) what are the barriers for autistic adults of all ages and we just you just spoke about some of them which is what i call misperceptions of and then, uh, you know, there is also that terrible uh, presumption that um, that goes along with those horrible, horrible labels of high and low functioning, you yes, know, um, yeah. because those labels are uh, are meant um, even if they're not intended to by those who have learned about them that those words are actually against neurodiversity. They do not support neurodiversity. Yeah, they're actively harmful. And and I'm glad that you brought up this idea of regardless of intent, because a lot of discourse and conversation around neurodiversity for folks who are coming in from, from a somewhat outsider perspective. So this includes Um, you know, most commonly parents, neurotypical parents, neurotypical professionals, whether it's healthcare, educators, or whatever. Um, Again, before I knew, before I, no, before I got my ADHD diagnosis as an adult, um, you know, I, I always knew I had a different type of brain. I knew, and most neurodivergent people, I think we know, even before we get that diagnosis, whatever. Um, but I, you know, I went through both professional workplace training, um, college, post-secondary graduate work, and the things I learned there are sometimes at odds with what a neurodiversity movement, a neurodiversity framework that is led by neurodivergent people, neurodiverse people, autistic people, right. ADHD people. Sometimes what you learn in those so-called professional spaces, especially, are at odds with some of the things that a neurodiversity framework really pushes. And so 
that is a roundabout way for me to say that I know a lot of well-intended people. I have been that person before in the past who have used terms like, you know, high functioning, low functioning, um, who have bought into the whole person first language only ever, blah, 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 things that I have learned by listening to, especially autistic adults to say, no, that the intent may be good, but the harm is more, the, the impact is more important. And, you know, Philip, you've done it, you and I talk a lot about functioning labels and the harm that they, they can do. And yes, neurodiversity does push back against this idea of high functioning and low functioning. Um, and so this, this idea of the quote unquote, high functioning autistic person, the high functioning ADHD person, that stereotypical maybe CEO who can't tie their shoes versus a low, quote unquote, low functioning person, generally, you know, in maybe a non-speaking or minimally speaking autist with other significant, um, uh, you know, physical or medical issues, physical disabilities, right? Right, right. A neurodiversity right. Yeah. approach says that no, that's assigning high or low. Talking about functioning is 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 dehumanizing because we're not here about what you know. We're not here to place judgment on on what somebody else can or cannot do. A better way to look at it is what are each individual strengths? What are their individual challenges? Um, and what are their specific support needs in order for them, again, to live a have the highest possible quality of life, the most self-determined life that they can have. Um, yes. And that's where a lot, I think, again, talking about barriers, where a lot of this pushback um, that there are, and I see this a lot, especially in online spaces, because honestly, that's where a lot of neurodiverse people where we do our, our learning and organizing and socializing a lot of online spaces um, is that there seems there is a false, um, a false impression of neurodiversity. I think that attackers of it or people who push back uh, on it think that this is something that only the stereotypical quote unquote high functioning autistics, this is something only for them. This is only yeah. quote unquote high functioning people speaking. You're not like my son. You're not like my child. You're not like my student. You don't speak for them. And that is where I see a lot of, of conflict and a lot of nastiness and active harm happens quite often at the expense of autistic people who are saying we are like your child we are like your student because we are autistic and why we are not the exact same make brand and model of autistic we know what it is to live autistically and we know what met, oh. you know the approaches that help us be successful the ones that look us at us like a holistic person that has right. value regardless of their productivity, regardless of their so-called intelligence, um, right? That that doesn't matter as much as what are the supports, the accommodations, and what are the attitudes that need to shift to make sure every single autist, every single neurodivergent person has the highest possible quality of life. That is where 
I see so much conflict happening because there's this misconception that neurodiversity is only for the quote unquote high functioning people. And that's just, that's just a myth. No, that, that's, that is so not true. And as um, Sue Swenson and I spoke together about ableism, those functionings, those functioning labels are full of ableism. Absolutely. That, you know, and that's how, how um, some get to define as to what they think we can do. Um, and, uh, you know, I also like to say this too, a lot of these labels that do get used, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna say this too, even autism and autistic and some of these other terms that we use, um, they are for the purpose of people who have issues with autistic people, <laughs> really. I mean, I mean, you know, so that they can recognize a difference. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, but unfortunately, what happens is that as they see this difference, they also see this as a tool to separate us yep. from how we ought to function in, in public yes. ways. Yep. That is really well said, Philip. And I think that has a lot to do with, um, you know, historically the way that, that, you know, at least in the United States, that, that the way that disability has been conceived over time has not been a good one. And oh. right. That disability until fairly recently has been a bad word. And there's it, been, you know, <laughs> there's been a lot of, of online kind of, online and in-person, um, a lot of kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for, grassroots, active trying reclama re reclamation of the word disabled, because disabled, again, it's different. And and so when you, we've grown up in a society that in the past, and in not the distant past at all, oh. under this medical model of disability that looks at the person with a disability as being fundamentally flawed, that always a, always a cure is necessary. And basically that difference is scary and difference needs to be addressed and made to appear as close to the norm to as possible, right? There's been a yeah. lot of movement away from that medical model of disability to this, this social model of disability, which um, isn't, a, isn't a perfect be all end all, but is much more I think realistic and applicable to where we are at as a society now yeah. and saying that, okay, people still have impairments, right? My ADHD is a disability. It impairs me in very real ways. But what, what is most harmful for me is are things that exist such as lack of resources, um, nice. um, um, you know, miscommunication, you know, at, at lack of access to diagnosis, to medication, to um, interpersonal misunderstandings, to active discrimination, those things that those are more social issues that are the most harmful and quote unquote disabling, right? That is that social yeah. model of disability. And so I think another part of where people who might um who might not be in that kind of cure mindset of that medical model, but still kind of struggle with neurodiversity as a concept or as a as a cultural 
movement or a cultural lens is saying that, okay, well, autism isn't just a quirky identity. It's still a disability and neurodiversity is leaving those people behind who have really significant support needs, who, who can't, who, who, right, who are too busy really dealing with day-to-day -day lots of a pain and, you know, real significant issues related to their autism. And again, I think that's another misunderstanding of neurodiversity is that neurodiversity doesn't say that like, these are just cute kind of diagnoses and cultural identities only. Although it is, I think, important to note that autistic culture is a thing, neurodivergent culture, ADHD culture, those are all things and identities and of value in and of themselves. But a neurodiversity model does not reject the idea of these impairments or our neurotypes being disabilities. Like you right. can be a very pro neurodiversity person and have a really freaking hard time being autistic at the same time. Like it is not an, an either or, it is an and, right? You can have this and you can embrace the fact that you have a different neurotype and it can suck so hard sometimes. Um, and I think uh, that's another piece of that miscommunication um, that neurodiversity critics have is that it's overly rosy and overly optimistic view of of autism or adhd or other neurodivergences right. after this commercial break robin and i will continue our conversation about autistic adults our own brand make and model stay tuned Life be great if everything fell in place. Sometimes our lives need a little rearranging. One of the most challenging times is when we experience a major transition, such as job exploration, moving to a new place, or simply when you are defining your path in life. During these challenging times, individuals can feel like there's a great river between you and where you want to go. Looking Forward Life Coaching helps carve a path to the destination that's right for you. Then lay the stepping stones so you can accomplish your goals. Visit us at lookingforwardlc.org for more information. Visit the virtual booth for today's autistic moment at the Inform Influence Innovative Together the virtual collaborative conference organized by the Autism Societies of Minnesota and Greater Wisconsin, April 21st through the 24th. I will be offering appointments for those who might be interested in being future guests on my podcast or have suggestions about topics you would like to hear about. Be sure to purchase a custom-made t-shirt by April 24th to go towards the fundraiser for the Autism Society of Minnesota. The next episode of today's Autistic Moment will be Autistic Adults and Social Narratives. Eric Ringenberg, the Director of Education Programs at the Autism Society of Minnesota, will be my guest 
to talk about how autistic adults can use social narratives to help with executive functioning and with daily self-care. Eric's advice will be informative with lots of great ways to use social narratives. This episode will be published on March 22nd. On April 5th, I will publish the episode entitled Autistic Adults and Autism Acceptance. Ellie Wilson, the Executive Director at the Autism Society of Minnesota, will be my guest to talk about why it is so important to move from autism awareness to autism acceptance. On April 19th, I will publish an episode about autistic adults and community-based services. Sarah Swan, the founder of Looking Forward Life Coaching, will be my guest. I have created a survey for autistic adults to take about your experiences with community-based services to help us prepare to talk about what is so important to you about this topic. Go to todaysautisticmoment.com to the new podcast episodes to take the survey. Thank you for listening to Today's Autistic Moment. Welcome back to today's Autistic Moment. Let us return to my conversation with Robin DeCourcy. Let's move into my third question. Um, What are some steps that autistic adults and their supporters need to take to advocate for our needs in terms of neurodiversity? Because as we've been talking about neurodiversity, we know that the term diversity is always met with some kind of pushback, Yep. you know, and so, you know, because um, of the misconceptions about being autistic, um, we know that, um, that there's, along with that presumption of incompetence, that um, they must not know how to help themselves, and that's not always true. Right. Um, again, so, so, Let's talk about some of those ways that we can advocate for ourselves. How can we, um, how can we help other people understand that uh, we are neurodiverse um, in in our own individual situations, and then more importantly, um, in terms of our society as a whole. Yeah, this is a, a complex question and true to my ADHD brain, it's not going to be a neat, uh, pat answer. Um, but I've got a couple of, of ways that I want to answer this question. Um, first of all, um, you know, I think it, it is really incumbent on each one of us who are neurodivergent in some way. It's going to serve us well if we have Um, take the time to continually invest in understanding 
our own brand, make, and model of autism, of ADHD, of whatever your particular um, disability, disabilities, neurodivergences are. Um, Agreed. And I think that's fundamentally the most important thing because unfortunately being autistic or being otherwise disabled in this society, even though we've come a long way, Right now we're in a position where as adults, we are going to, we always have been in some way in our whole lives and always will be educating other people about our exactly. neurotypes. Exactly. And so I'm a big fan because I am, this is you know my, my job, my livelihood, the thing I'm most passionate about. I'm personally very invested in having ways to describe autism, to describe ADHD, to describe other types of neurodivergent in ways that, you know, a a 30 second kind of elevator pitch, right? That I can say, oh, I, I, my favorite thing is when I mentioned that I've worked with autistic folks for over 10 years or whatever, and somebody says, oh, so-and-so in my life is autistic or has autism. I love that because I get to provide this reaction of right on. I love that. Some of my favorite people in the world are autistic. And just having that having being able to have that reaction which for me is a genuine one born of deep and fierce love for my neuro cousins right my my autistic uh brain cousins um but also for neurodivergent and disabled people in general and that's something that um you know has taken a lot of of professional energy but also to for me to have this kind of ease in talking about um, my own disabilities and to talk about disability in general comes with a lot of work that I've spent to unpack my own internalized ableism. Um, those messages that growing up as a child of the 80s and 90s still very much in that, oh my God, your brain is different. That's awful, right? That's shameful exactly, that yeah. to hide away. That's something that you every person has to reconcile that with themselves. Um, exactly, yeah. One of the one of the most important ways to advocate for ourselves is to know our autism, to know how how our autism affects us, uh, to know and to be able to talk about what being autistic means for us. Um, Among those, the ways that we advocate for ourselves in terms of neurodiversity is we tell our stories about what being autistic means for us. Um, Absolutely. You know. And that's where, you know, back uh, a couple of years ago when I did my um, presentation about self-care mm-hmm. and my listeners hear me say this every show and I will say it again. Um, the best self-advocacy that you can do for yourself is to know, uh, know about your autism, to become the expert about your autism and become the expert at telling others what being autistic means for you. Absolutely. Because the, the more people hear what we have to say about ourselves. I know people often say that autistic people are not narcissists, but that is not at all, not at all true. A lot of us are trying to tell others, this is what being autistic means for me. Mm-hmm. And even though there are people who might not be listening, we do have people who are listening and at least beginning to turn those little wheels in their head to try to begin to understand. 
Yeah, and I think that honestly cuts at the core of, of effective advocacy in any realm is to to make it personal, right? Is that right. people are going to be able to access the ideas that you're talking about and to be able to find commonalities and kinship and empathy when it's about your individual life and the ways that you talk about your own experience. Because, you know, people can people can and will argue about abstract concepts or things like what is autism all day long but they can't people have no people can't fundamentally argue with you about your own life experience i mean they can right. and they will but that is to say that it is much easier to shut that sort of 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 ill faith conversation down when you say no this is my truth this is my life this is what i'm good at this is where I struggle. And these are specifically, this is what I do for myself in order to succeed, to be happy, to have, uh, you know, meaningful relationships, to participate in my community. This is what you can do as a medical professional, a, a, uh, a friend or other ally as a community representative. These are things you can do for me as an individual, right? And having that mm. conversation, starting it from a place that you can ground it in your own expert lived experience, that is going to stay with people a lot longer. Um, I will say that another reason for being um being your ex, you know, your own expert on your on your autism, on your disabilities, on your neurodivergences, is that you know, mm. even in the most pro neurodiversity, you know, the most neurodiversity accepting spaces, you're getting a bunch of different brains together, and everybody, as we say, is different, and it's very real that we there are going to be competing access needs, right? Exactly. Um, and what do I mean by that? That means that, okay, when you've got a bunch of different people, whether it's, you know, say you're in a an autistic support group and you've got a small group of autistics trying to, you know, do hash some stuff out together to where I do a lot of work, which is in working with lots of arts organizations, um, sports organizations, lots of public facing interacting organizations where you don't know necessarily the type of crowd you, you're gonna get, but you can, having a, a neurodiversity practice is gonna benefit everyone. You're still gonna come up against competing access needs, right? Some people are gonna do best with text-based communication. Some people cannot communicate effectively unless it's it you know spoken over the phone or in person i know right. autistics of both types right um a, a lot of a big one with autistic folks is having competing sensory needs right i see this right. i hear this a lot especially from my autistic friends who are parenting autistic children of any age of that i hear a lot is something akin to like their autism is poking my autism in the eye right because you know, their, their child or their partner or whoever in their household, you know, they've got a stim that they really need to employ that helps them stay calm, you know, especially in just pandemic times where we're all cooped up together anyways, while their stim or coping mechanism or whatever is actively something that is driving this other autistic brain crazy. Um, or just, you know, just is causing issues for that other autistic I'm person. So mm -hmm. it's, 
you know, this is where, again, having a keen sense of your own make, brand, and model also includes where are your boundaries, right? So Uh, especially as a parent, right, there's this, you have, it's a little bit different from a parent-child relationship because as a parent, you know, you have to ultimately be the one to, you're still parenting, right? That's still your child. And so that's a power differential that isn't, you know, necessarily one-to-one. You might be more willing to, you might have to kind of sacrifice a bit of your own um, self peace or whatever, if, if your child or whatever, somebody in who is more vulnerable really needs you to kind of suck it up and, and, and deal with something that might be unpleasant, but there's a difference between trying to support somebody else's access needs, you know, even if it isn't ideal for you and versus being, you know, completely plowed over by somebody else, right? You have to know where your hard boundaries are. And, yeah. and this is especially true, I think, for uh, for autistic folks and to some extent, too, for ADHD brains like mine that, you know, I have big emotions and I'm not great at tracking some of these, you know, things that are bothering me until something big happens. And then I realized, oh, I didn't set my boundary clear enough or whatever. So it's it's this idea that with, with being in contact with other people that have different strengths challenges support needs what what do you need to be optimally successful right for you what do you need to be able to kind of just cope and live and what is you know and what is like a big I cannot do this right so just having this idea of you know you can be pro neurodiversity but that doesn't mean sacrificing your own well-being and your own boundaries right and conversely that doesn't mean that you get to that your that your access needs your communication style whatever is automatically everybody else has to conform to what you say right it's this right. so it's this it's a really pretty intricate dance that i think that many of us autistic or not but neurodiverse neurodivergent people we do all the time all day every day all the time informally because that's just the way our brains are we have yeah. to in order to survive but i, I found that i agree go ahead yep yeah, i found that in uh you know in the spaces where i spend the most time you know at work or at home, that's where I need to be the most mindful in in right. communicating my needs and setting boundaries and to be honoring that of other people. That's just, I think that is just a, another place that neurodiversity kind of gets muddled and people say, well, everybody's needs are valid. How do you do that? Well, yeah, they are. And it's really hard to always, there is never any right answer, right? For there's no sensory environment that suits everyone. There's no communication style that suits everyone. And and so it's this really often an intricate dance, but as long as it's fundamentally grounded in these ideas of my ideas and my, 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 the things I need to communicate, the things I feel are just as valid as yours and vice versa. As long as you're coming from that baseline of we are both valid, we we might need different things to get, you know, to communicate effectively, to coexist, you know, at optimally, but we're both valid and we're we're willing and committed to figuring this together. Right. You know, I as we're talking about this issue, um, I think it would be a good idea to see if we can answer a question that I can hear somebody coming up with. 
And that question would be, you know, my autism really does create for me a lot of barriers in terms of how do I communicate my autism? How do I communicate that sort of thing? I may not be somebody who can write. I may have difficulty speaking to put my facts in order. What might be some suggestions you might have about how, how those kinds of individuals can begin to, um, you know, find ways to communicate about their autism? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I would say, first of all, is that you don't have to answer this all by yourself. So I would say if you, if you can, you know, and you want to explore that, that's fine. But, you know, presuming competence does, again, as I said before, doesn't mean that you have to do it by yourself. So I would say if, if you have access to people or to resources, like if you have a therapist, if you have a job coach, if you have um, a parent or a sibling or a partner who, who you really communicate well with and you think can be someone that will help you articulate um, what you want other people to know about you is to say, mm. use that, use other people as a resource, right? We talk so much about in, in autism land and like special education land, especially my background about independence and, you know, maximal and independence. While that's all well and good, I, I feel like neurodiverse communities are very interdependent. And that's part of the reason why it works is that, you know, is mm -hmm. that we recognize that we don't, we not, we can't necessarily do it all by ourselves, nor should we have to. Um, yeah. And, and there's many ways that having somebody else or some other entity or whatever to help you, whether it's, you know, I know some folks too, you know, if you were to sit them down for a traditional question and answer type interview, probably wouldn't go very well. But if you were to say, to say, hey, why don't you make a YouTube video of a day in your life and just, you know, make me a, a mini movie about your life and what you would want other people to know about you, right. mm -hmm. you would learn so much from that, right? And that's right. something that maybe somebody else might have to help that person with. Maybe they can do it independently. But again, so, so I guess... My convoluted answer starts with a don't think you have to be independent in doing it if you if you're not there yet. And if you have the support to help you suss that out, you don't have to do it alone. You and honestly, there are so many um, you know autistic adults, especially who are leading the way and having these conversations and building such a strong community. It out of what I see is just nothing but sheer love for the autistics yeah. that are and the, the autistics who are younger, right? Exactly. So I would so there's that. There's that kind of convoluted answer is that you know, get help if you need it and don't so and you know, don't find ways to to communicate that are authentic to you and that right. are so again, I've I've got I have some of my autistic friends who are a bit younger, who I used to work with, um, you know, professionally and who are now just buddies of mine. A lot of the ways that we socialize and communicate is very idiosyncratic, um, where it's like, we'll just swap, you know, links to memes on the internet to each other, or they'll, you know, there, there's ways that people will uh, communicate authentically that 
if you give them the chance and if you take the opportunity to learn somebody else's language. So again, this is me as an outsider, not an autistic person. Um, so I guess it's the advice then for the autistic person is to, you know, what, how are you most comfortable in communicating? Um, I know a number, a couple of non-speaking autists who are really incredible poets and who are, have the most profound things to say about being autistic and about ableism and about their own experiences through poetry. And that's something mm -hmm. that isn't going to be, you know, you know, sit, meeting someone face to face, say at a job fair, you're not going to get that same wealth of response from that autistic person, yeah. because that's not their strongest way of communicating. So I guess my convoluted answer is, again, to, to, to communicate to find your authentic ways that you feel most, that you are most yourself in communicating the most important things about you um, and to seek community, right? To seek. Yes, to um, network. Yes, to, na to network, network with right? other, network with other autistics. Right, right. And, and, you know, I will put in there too, because, you know, my professional and my experience and then with some of my friends is, you know, also be safe, right? A lot of autistic socializing and community building happens online and there's dangers there. So just, again, also just, you know, it's, it can be easy to have your boundaries violated if you're not you know, mm -hmm. if you're not aware of kind of the pitfalls out there. So again, yeah. not a, not a simple answer. You don't come to me for simple answers or, or, or concise answers about this sort of thing. But I think those would be my, my, my starting points. So again, okay. it's all about authenticity and, and finding your allies, whether it's other yeah. autistics, um, people in your, in your family and, you know, family doesn't necessarily mean blood, your chosen family, your friends, um, you know, other people in your life that, um, who are there and that you trust or who are there for your well-being. Yeah. Well, Robin, uh, boy, you've given us so much <laughs> to think about here, which is, which is great. Um, and, you know, I can't thank you enough for coming on to talk about this. My and, pleasure. Thank uh, you for I'll, having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you again. Uh, and um, do you have any last before we, we finish off here? Do you have any resources that you suggest people look up? Yes, I do. So um, one of I, the a, a useful website that I found that has a nice kind of breakdown of these terms that we've been using, neurodiversity, neurotypical, neurodiversity paradigm, neurodivergent, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's a, a page that is by a Dr. Nick Walker and his blog, their blog is called Neurocosmopolitanism. That's where I've seen um, the, these definitions really nicely laid out. And that's a, a resource that's been, I've seen distributed widely in various neurodiverse spaces. So Philip, if, if you want, I can send you a link directly to that page. If that's something you can upload directly to your, to, 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 um, to link with this episode. Yep, absolutely. Um, I can put that, I can put that into my, into today's autistic moment. Yeah. I can put it up with along with the episode and I can also uh, my listeners can find it as well in the my sponsor and community resources okay. yeah to look that up mm. yeah there's I mean there's one of the nice things about um 
in my lifetime, in my relatively short, you know, tenure of being a professional in this field, you know, about 12, 13 years is that there's also, I've actively seen the, the scientific literature out there that's talking about autism and other neurodevelopmental disabilities. There is a growing body of literature specifically about neurodiversity in these peer reviewed journals. So I've got a couple that I've linked to that I will send your way as well, Philip. And then there's also a really nice, uh, I can't, I didn't write down the author's name, but I'll send you this link as well. There's um, a blog that was published in 2019 in, in Scientific American by a, I, uh, by a professional who, uh, who really nicely lays out in a very, um, plain language way some of these observations and that we're talking about neurodiversity especially the misconceptions that we were talking about neurodiversity um so again that's a blog that i found that i will send you that link um that you can post upwards as well otherwise um folks are welcome to you know try to find me um that you know reach out to philip if they he knows how to get a hold of me um i'm I am happy to talk about neurodiversity and virtually anything else, autism or ADHD related all day. Yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yes. I do know that about you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Robin, once again, thank you very much for being on today. Yes. My pleasure. Today's Autistic Community Bulletin Board. The 2021 Awesome Summer Recreation Catalog. Austin's Guide to Sensory-Friendly Minnesota is now available to download on Austin's website. The catalog contains information about great activities with registration deadlines, skill shops, training workshops, and summer camps. Don't miss these opportunities for summer activities for Minnesota's autism community. On March 23rd, from 7 to 9 p.m., Jillian Nelson will be presenting a virtual skill shop about self-advocacy. Jillian is a public policy advocate at the Autism Society of Minnesota. Jillian will be talking about what she has learned about self-advocacy. She will talk about the history of self-advocacy with some great advice for autistic individuals to advocate for themselves. On April 13th, from 7 to 9 p.m., I will be presenting a virtual skill shop about aging autistic adults at the Autism Society of Minnesota. Many of you have listened to my episode, Aging Autistic Adults, What We Needed Yesterday, with my guest, Dr. Teresa Regan. During the virtual skill shop, I will mention some of what Dr. Regan spoke of with some additional information about the barriers for aging autistic adults and about some self-advocacy. On April 27th, from 7 to 9 p.m., Beth Pitchford will present a skill shop called Friendship, How to Find and Keep Friends as an autistic adult. Many people on the autistic spectrum have lots of social challenges to find and maintain friendships. Beth will give some tips for building strong friendships and maintaining them during the COVID-19 pandemic 
while we need to keep social distancing. Inform, influence, innovative together, the second collaborative virtual conference organized by the, the Autism Societies of Minnesota and Greater Wisconsin will take place on April 21st to the 24th. Go to awesome.org for more information and to register. Thank you for listening to today's Autistic Moment, a podcast for autistic adults by an autistic adult.